Welcome to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Marie, and this is the lovely Becky. Hello, Becky. Hey. Do you mind if I call you the lovely Becky? Please, that should be on my business card. Well, the other thing I was going to say, I was going to call you my pod, what was I going to say? Podcast? I don't think it works. <laughs> it's like a, a co-host, my podcast. I don't know. Whatever. We'll work on that one. What are you fearing today, Becky? Well, after listening back to a couple of our episodes, I fear that I cuss too much. I actually had to edit out some of the F-bombs I dropped and it still ends up with like a million of them. It's a very strange thing to hear yourself and go, really? Do I sound that way? So... What do you think? Do I cuss too much? Well, I it's like it's like you have episodes. I don't I don't know how to describe it. <laughs> like like uh what's the what's that condition where you Tourette's you say you Tourette Tourette's where some people have the thing where they throw out cuss words. Yeah. yeah. That's Tourette. just turn into it. I I, yeah. I there were like on the Chris Watts episode, there was this one section where you were like, drive down the street and go fuck yourself and then take a turn and go fuck yourself. And it went on and I was like, holy crap. Very specific directions. Yeah, you, I was like, is this how you give Curtis directions when you're mad at him? I'm like, can I, can I get that on my car? Like, you know how you choose the voice of the person that gives you directions? Do you think oh, yeah. get together with somebody and create an app to where <laughs> You can just be like, where I'm going, go down the fucking street and turn left. No, not there. Turn left up there. I mean, do you think there may be some, there are probably some guys out there that um, they need like a hysterical woman giving them directions in order to like stay focused? So you can, I think so. You I can think so. Like, I think that helps. Go it feels very yourself. helpful. <laughs> Take a ride <laughs> on South Bend and then go fuck yourself. So, yeah, I'll work on that. My favorite was when Waze, that app, had Keith Morrison for a while. It was the best. So he would say, he would start out with, it was a drive, just like any other drive, you know, when you're <laughs> headed home from work. It was really cool. I would tell him to give me directions to places, even though I know where I was going, just because I like listening to it. My friend right. would, uh, um, would put this Australian guy that we called Sexy Randy. We would always put him on when the guys would leave. The oh, car. you like the Australian guy? Yeah. Ours are always British. There's always British English. I think that I like, I mean, I still enjoy that accent. All right. So what are you really fearing? I am fearing that true crime obsession can be taken too far by some people. I want to read you. I'm not going to go into great detail, but I'm going to present it to you in pretty clinical detail as to what happened here. This is from the Shreveport Times in November of 2019, the Shreveport Times. And by the way, everybody, all of our sources are going are gonna to be on our website, fearthispodcast.com. So for every episode, there's, there's a page. And at the bottom of that page, we, we have our citations. So the Shreveport Times from 2019, there was a family in Shreveport who were named the Grissom family. This was in 89. And there was Tom, who was 55, his daughter, Julie, who was 24, and the grandson of Tom, who was eight. And they had a neighbor who hadn't heard from them for a while. And a, a neighbor came in through the laundry room door and found the grandfather murdered. And 
then the police were called and they found Julie murdered and then they found the boy murdered. So there was another guy who lived in this neighborhood, last name Rowling, and he shot his own stepfather in the head, but his stepfather lived. And then Rowling fled to Florida in August of 1990. This is the Gainesville Ripper case. Are you familiar with that? I've never heard of it. This guy, Rowling, is the one who did it. And he lived in a tent in the, in the woods. And so when students were headed back to school for the fall semester, he started murdering people along the, the apartments that were lining that woods. He would break into apartments and murder women. And he, he would do things, I'm not going to give details, but he staged these crime scenes in a gruesome, horrific way. I mean, the head of a victim will be across the room from the body and things like that. He was just an evil, just evil, vile sadist. So they catch him eventually. And when they catch him, they figure out that he's this guy who also murdered that family that lived in his neighborhood in Louisiana. So what I have described for you, does this sound like someone that you would start corresponding with, somebody you would want to write sympathetic letters to? Um, does it sound like somebody you'd want to get engaged to? Because, I mean, <laughs> he's a catch, right? <laughs> I mean, I've heard the dating game is really hard right now. With I mean, right. so, so this guy goes um, on trial in 91, and he was sentenced to life in prison. And when he was going to be sentenced, he was allowed to give a statement or something. And you can find video of this online. I don't recommend you do because it'll really make you grossed out. But he sings during this chance for him to make a statement. And then he turns and he sings a proposal to a woman named Sandra London. And they became engaged. Can I, can and, I talk to you real quick? So mm -hmm. this is like when somebody's going to be on the Tonight Show or, or they're at a Dodgers game and they've paid to have the camera turned to them while they're proposing. This guy uses the televised courtroom as the surprise proposal to this woman. Yes. Now, by the way, guys, don't ever do that. Propose to someone in public like that. Now, she's an interesting case, Miss London, because she also was engaged to another serial killer before him. I guess we all have our type. I like tall guys, but you know, maybe, maybe she needs them to have killed a bunch of people. And then she wrote books about them as well. And she was engaged to a guy who murdered at least two people, but they believe he murdered nine. They just couldn't pin it on him. So this is a phenomenon that exists where women are not just attracted to, but are so obsessed with these murderers they start corresponding, they quote unquote fall in love, and then they eventually do get married. It is shocking to me the number of women who have married convicted murderers. And now, in our last episode, you talked about how people would send fan letters and money to Dahmer and then the Ramirez and stuff. I'm going to talk about Ramirez as well in a second. But this phenomenon, by the way, is so common that it's got a name. There okay. is a psychological term for it. It's uh, hybristophilia, H-Y-B-R-I-S-T-O-philia. And there's an actual medical definition of it <laughs> that uh, a person is erotically attracted to a person who committed an outrage or a gruesome crime. 
So if you think of horrific murders up to and including Manson, there's somebody who corresponded with them in prison, who wrote them love letters and married them. Now, Bundy did it. He was acting as his own attorney and he put a woman on the stand and he proposed to her and they got married right there during his trial. Her name escapes me. I don't really care. They got married in the trial? Yeah. So there was a witness right there who was an official witness. Yeah. She also claimed that she gave birth to his kid, which who knows if that's true or not. He would have gotten her pregnant while he was in prison. And I mean, who knows what the truth actually is. That's weird. The depths of the depravity that someone committed, the types of murder they committed, if they murdered their own wives, people will still marry them. One of the most famous murderers of the 90s was the Menendez brothers. Now... If you don't remember, let me update you on this Menendez thing that took over the world until OJ murdered his his ex-wife. The Menendez brothers were children of of immigrants who had made a very uh, successful life for themselves. They were very wealthy. The younger one was 18, the older one was 21, and they got shotguns, these two men, and went in their parents' living room and murdered their own parents just shot them dead oh, multiple times. The mom named Kitty, she was trying to crawl away and they shot her again. And it's so awful. And so after their parents died, they claimed that somebody else had broken in and done it. They got all the money from their parents. And then they started flashing all the money around town, wearing fancy suits and driving fancy cars and being basically obnoxious Beverly Hills douchebags. Enough so that people were like, wait a second, something's really wrong here. They figured out they had done it. The two confessed eventually, and then they took it back, and then they confessed again, and then they put them on trial a couple times, and they had an attorney who was uh, so gross. She dressed them up in these little boy-type outfits with these sweater vests and tried to make them look all innocent, and then, do you remember this, Marie, where she would, like, she would, like, brush hair off their shoulder or pat them on the back, pat them on the head until the judge finally was like, stop touching your client. Stop Mm -hmm. touching your client. They are not children. They don't need you grooming them all the time. And the judge had to admonish it. But it was this whole idea of, oh, they're so sad and innocent. And and then they spun this story. And if you ever want to watch someone lying and go, oh, well, that's a lie. Then I want, I urge you to go and watch the trial testimony of Eric, who is the younger one. And where he's trying to describe why he killed his father. Because he claimed that his father molested him his whole life or something. So he's 18, he's out of the house, but he has to go kill him. I mean, it's so dumb. It's so asinine, but it took two trials, I think, at least two, I think, for these two to be convicted for a crime that they admitted they'd done. Well, they started getting fan letters from women. And both of those dudes have have been married. In fact, one of them has been married twice. Twice. Okay. Huh? From prison. From prison. These women started writing them then it turned into love. The older one was considered better looking. And so he was getting all kinds of fan mail and everybody was just, he's so cute. You know, women are so, why are we so stupid? And then one woman started writing to the younger brother because he wasn't as attractive. And she's like, no one's writing to him. I feel bad for him. So she started writing him. Eventually they got married. The older one had married somebody and they were married for five years until shocker she found out he was corresponding with other women i can't believe that can you believe he had no honor (laughs) and uh, then they got divorced and then he found somebody else to marry and i think he's still married to this day and i think the younger one is too my question about that becky is 
yeah. clearly the the guys are getting commissary out of this right that's what this is about right well because if you can't get is, conjugal visits then what's the what's the point there is no conjugal visits and i don't want to read i'm not going to read a quote from a killer because i don't think we need to hear what they have to say but the younger one i think it goes into great detail about how how being married to this woman and the comfort she gives him is the only thing keeping him going and she visits every week and they write constantly and they talk on the phone a few times a day and the only thing they don't have is sex that's you know that's how they present this stuff to the world you know and um it's like i don't want you to have comfort i don't want go fuck yourself i don't want you to have comfort you brutally first degree plan premeditated murdered your own parents i don't want you to have comfort so what he feels and thinks is of no interest to me, but they claim that it's the thing that keeps them going. So, yeah. all right. Well, that makes yeah, sense. Aside from, I mean, I think some, a lot of the people they carry on with is to get money. Right. But then, but then also I can see how having a person whose sole existence is focused on you. In other words, I was even thinking about the making a murder documentary, like Somebody married Stephen Avery while he was in prison. And this person is corresponding with the attorney for him. This person is running errands for him. This person is taking care of his personal business. And some of these killers are actually trying to get out of jail too. So having an advocate on the outside is helpful to them as well. So I get what the prisoners are getting from it or what the criminals are mm -hmm. getting from it. But what is what are the women getting from it? There's a lot of discussion about that in the psychological world and, and, and people who study such things. And there's a woman who wrote a book about women who marry murderers. And I'm going to show you this picture. So can you see this? Yeah. Okay. It's a pretty, pretty lady, isn't it? Uh-huh. One of the people who married one of the Menendez brothers used to be a model and another one was a magazine editor. And you would think, okay, well, they've got stuff going on. They're not desperate and just in dire straits emotionally or whatever. And she married the, the younger brother. And then this, this is who married the older brother. She's cute too. So, so cute. And this first, I think his first wife was a Playboy bunny who went to his trial every day and just started corresponding with him. Here's Manson and his 22-year-old fiance. And by the way, I'm pronouncing fiance wrong on purpose. If you haven't seen Raising Arizona, what the hell are you doing? Go watch that movie right now. There's a whole thing about what do they get out of it? What do they get out of it? Why would they do it? And one of the things that I'm reading about is there's this whole like bad boy thing, you know, that we're supposed to love bad boys starting right. there. Then there's also this like skating along the edge of danger when you know they ain't going to kill you. You know, you're like, oh, they're safe in prison. They're not going to kill me. And I still get to sort of feel like I'm a part of something that's a little bit edgy and freaky and weird. And, but the thing that I really, really don't understand is how, how these marriages go on so long. I mean, are you telling me that, that these women are really okay with never having sex? I don't understand it because they don't get conjugal visits. It's not a thing. It's, it's really not a thing. Have you considered um, that that's might be a plus for some women? I, I mean, I know that that seems foreign, yes. <laughs> foreign to you, but it's like, there's little responsibility on the woman's part either. This is an ideal relationship for someone who doesn't want to deal with the day-to-day -day of a real relationship because the person is in prison. So not only can they not harm you physically, 
uh, you're not going to have conflicts with them about taking out the trash and it, and you're never going to have to like feign a headache or anything like that. Exactly. Maybe you, you are asexual or you are not interested in men or whatever. This maybe is the ideal thing, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I, I do think that there are, are probably, and you're showing beautiful women, but I've seen the flip too, where some of these serial killers are like getting married to old ladies, young guys. Oh, really? Yeah. So here's one of the things that will flip on its head. What I just said about being safe because they're not going to kill you. Okay. There is a serial rapist and serial killer named Jablonski. And he was active in the seventies until the early eighties. So he was uh, sent to prison in 78 for the murder of his former girlfriend, who was also the mother of his child. So we're already off to a great start. We're going really well here. While serving his sentence, there was like um, a prison pen pal situation where someone signed up, you know, and then they met and then she went to see him in prison a few times and stuff. And then they ended up getting married. Okay, so while in prison, he, uh, he actually had a visit from his own mother that he tried to kill her with shoelaces in the prison visiting area while he was in prison. Wow. His own mother. Strangle her with shoelaces. And yet he was still released on good behavior, okay? First of all, he murdered a woman who was his ex, who was the mother of his child, and he had raped multiple women. So then he gets released on good behavior. He then goes to his, his wife's home, murders her, and rapes and murders her 70-year-old mother as well. He takes off. He's driving down the freeway, describing how he killed them uh, into his own tape recorder. He goes to a truck stop and sits there watching a woman that he's planning to kill, like he wants to kill her. And he's saying things like, and if that truck driver would just leave, I, I mean, she's mine. She's all mine. But oh then he God. watches the woman leave and the truck driver never leaves. So he doesn't kill her. So the police find these recordings when they pull him over later that day for a traffic violation where he's confessed to this. And that this woman dodged being serial killed at a truck stop when she was, you know, stopping for her sandwich or whatever. Um, but it's one of those situations where, like, like with the Menendez and all that, is how does a woman overlook his behavior? How do you overlook the biggest, worst thing you can do, which is take a life of another human or more than one human and then go, oh, but I love him because he's so sweet. I want to pause for a minute. I think I was insulted by all of my research last week on murderabilia. But as you were saying that, I was like, man, I wonder what you could get for those shoestrings and like the tapes on eBay if you had them. Oh my gosh. Right. I know. Like those original, there's probably some dumbass out there who wants to get his hands on those murder confession tapes. Yeah. I mean, yeah. We should fabricate some shoestrings and put them up there and authentic shoestrings. Um, so the night stalker, who was a serial killer and rapist who terrorized California from 84 to 85, he received hundreds of letters from women in prison, hundreds. And like I said, the other day, If you have not looked up what this guy looked like, this guy is one of the most terrifying looking humans you'll ever see. I mean, his eyes are just dead and evil and demonic. And And so people, if you read descriptions of his murders too, one of the things that people mention about him is that he had grotesque body odor, like he never bathed. 
Yes, I read that. That's so, yes. I, I've always wondered, is that just because he was like out of his mind and a crazy person or if that was part of it for him to just be as disgusting as possible? Yeah, to be as disgusting as possible. Uh, I don't know, but I mean, all of this is checking all my boxes for a husband. How about you? <laughs> so, so he received hundreds of letters, more than 75 of which were from this one woman who was a magazine editor. He proposed to her in 88. They were finally married in 96. They wed in San Quentin prison. Now she says that her husband is innocent. That's, that's how she gets over this cognitive dissonance of, oh, he's a serial killer. Oh, but she says he's innocent. He's just funny and kind and charming. He's a great person. He's my best friend. He's my buddy. <laughs> Did she make any money? Has she, has she made any money writing things about him? I don't know. She was a former magazine editor. I don't know. Maybe. They remained wed until he passed away in 2013 while on death row. So then there's the Ted Bundy one. This is from ranker.com. I'll put it on our website. In 1980, he married Carol Boone, proposing to her in court. And he married her right then and there using a bizarre loophole in the Florida law, stating a declaration of marriage in the presence of a judge constitutes a legal marriage. So wait, so if you say it in front of a judge what if you what if she would have said no were they still legally married i mean oh. i don't know like i i think this could be a, a way to get around that expensive wedding right you and your <laughs> your spouse your potential spouse can just run into a court and be like i want to wed this person boom yeah and whenever the younger Menendez guy marrying the girl he married, their their wedding cake was a Twinkie from the from the vending machine. So yeah, you're right. They probably saved a couple bucks on a wedding cake there. Which one's Angelo Buono? Which one's Buono? The hillside, one of the hillside stranglers. Right. The older, the older dominant one in the relationship. Okay. They uh, killed at least 10 women in California in the late 70s, and he married somebody. This is one of the things I don't understand is the women who marry the dudes well, the women are prison workers and then they fall for these dudes. She was a California state employee development department supervisor. And oh, she was going really well because she met him while she was visiting her first husband. So, you know, she's making really good life choices. Girlfriend, look inward, okay? <laughs> it seems like a really incestuous community. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, apparently, yes. They're just pass these girls around. Um, you know, you mentioned about passing the girls around, but the, the image that I keep getting in my mind about this is like the rock groupies. It's very similar because you have women basically going for a serial killer and then continuing to go for other serial killers. So there's definitely a fetish here. And mm -hmm. I don't know if it has to do with killing, if it has to do with fame. Just It may even just have to do with being associated with a famous person. I do think that is a big part of it. Because if you think about like, if you're writing letters to some actor or rock star that you are obsessed with, he ain't gonna marry you, you know? But if you write to a super famous killer, he's probably not got as many prospects as the rock star does. And then you're connected in some way to a famous, you know? Like I, I'd like to be a fly, a fly on the wall when someone woman marries like some local rapist and then she gets a shot at the big time with like, one of the major serial killers and she's like i'm sorry i'm gonna have to break this off okay guess what that's actually a thing is that women who visit the people in prison will 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 use it as a stepping stone to the next bigger bad guy 
So then there was there was then there's our, our good friend Scott Peterson. Did you read Gone Girl and see the movie Gone Girl? I did, yes. So that book was awesome, by the way. The movie was Love great, it. but the book, oh, so good. Huh? Yeah, I loved the book and and I loved the movie. Yeah. Although when I read the book, I I felt like because I saw the movie first, I felt like oh. Ar- Army Hammer or somebody would have been better cast as the as the lead. Ben Affleck doesn't really fit the personality wise. He fits the character, but looks wise, I think the character was different. I had read the book a year or two before the movie came out. I think so. I I don't really remember, but I thought he did a great job. Yeah, Jillian Flynn um, wrote that book based on the Scott Peterson story. Do you are you really familiar with the Scott Peterson story? I'm not that familiar with it. No. So, to sum up, he was convicted of murdering his wife, who was pregnant at the time, eight months pregnant. And it's very similar to the Watts situation, where he had a girlfriend, and the girlfriend did not know that he was married. And so he was in this situation of well, my girlfriend finds out not only that I'm married, but my wife's about to have a baby. No, this is the end of days for me and this girl. And so he, he killed his wife and his uh, unborn child and, and they were not found right away. There was a whole thing of where are they, where are they, where are they? And then they were found in the water, floating in the water in San Francisco. And he was one of the creepiest interviews I've seen when he was, when the wife was still missing, Lacey, when she was still missing, they interviewed him for the local news, like San Francisco news, you know, and he, he did this thing that sociopaths do. And I know we use that word a lot, but that's because we're talking about murders. And the thing about sociopaths is they don't know how to be human unless they're imitating other humans. They only know how to impersonate humans. And so unless there's a line someone feeds to them or unless they are, and so the creepy thing about them is that they can be better at being humans than you are or I am because they study humans the way that a human would study an insect or an animal or something, right? So he's being interviewed and the woman who's interviewing him says, because there's a picture of Lacey next to where they're seated in his house. And she says, "Uh, tell me what you feel when you look at Lacey, the picture of Lacey. And he couldn't say anything. He just blinked. And then he just kind of looked at her in the picture and he looked back at her and he just goes, she completes me. (laughs) Those of you who don't know what that line is from, that is from a movie that had come out in the mid nineties and it became a big deal of people saying that to each other as a kind of a goof or a joke because it was so over the top, just just saccharine, you know, just nobody actually would say that to each other. And if somebody said that to me, I'd be like, that's not, that's not right. You need to go and find somebody else to be with because that's a fucking creepy thing to say. But the reason he said it is because he didn't know what to say. He didn't know how to talk about his feelings. He hadn't, didn't have feelings. And people like that, they only have feelings for themselves and what, what they're going through. And that is one of the things you will find with these killers is that when they talk about, you know, when they stand up in court to talk about whatever they'll only talk about what they've gone through and how hard it's been on them you know um, I don't know if this so, is actually taken from true facts now that I know the woman based it on the Peterson trial but there was a, a scene in Gone Girl where Ben Affleck's character is having to do an interview and he's sounding really douchey and so his attorney is throwing skittles at him whenever he says something douchey do you remember this yeah, I forgot about that though. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie in a while. 
But yeah. anyway, I just, um, it was just an interesting juxtaposition to what you were saying, because like to snap this guy into it, to get him to have emotion, he had to throw Skittles at his face to irritate him. Yes, 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 yes. A throwback to our episode last week out about um, storing things in body cavities. There's a scene in the movie also with a bottle of champagne, I think. Oh, oh yeah that's awful oh yeah 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 yeah. it just proves my point from last week that that kind of stuff shouldn't go there but oh yeah yeah scott peterson was convicted of first degree murder for his wife and second degree murder for the killing of their unborn son and that day (laughs) that day the prison warden starts receiving phone calls of people who want to talk to him and want to want to help him and blah blah blah. and then love letters start showing up and here's the exact statistics three thousand phone calls came into the warden's office on his first day in san quentin now i want you to think about not just that he committed a crime but the person against whom he committed this crime you know and i know there's a whole cliche of how you get him is how you lose him so if you get him from cheating, then that's how you're going to lose him. Well, honey, take that to the extreme. What in the hell do you think is going to happen? And the thing is, these women, you know, they feel like it's safe, right? He's not getting out of prison. You don't know he's not getting out of prison. You don't know things aren't going to be overturned, some technicality. And in fact, Scott Peterson is having or just had a new trial because they did throw out the death penalty because of some, um, there's some technicalities here and there. And, and that dude who got out for good behavior even though he tried to kill his mom with a shoelace well he found her and killed her and her mom so you know so scott peterson he got a letter that very day from an 18 year old who said she wanted to marry him so did you ever watch the hbo uh, prison series oz i watched one episode and i was sick to my stomach so i couldn't watch more pretty extreme and sick to my stomach because it was so realistic I mean, yeah it's pretty extreme oh. so i th- i think it's pretty realistic however i I haven't researched this. A curiosity that I have, one of the themes throughout the the Oz series was when people go to prison, whatever walk of life they come from, whether you're like a Martha Stewart or just some Joe off the street, you're forever affected by it because things happen to you in prison and you end up making relationships with people to survive in prison. And I'm not necessarily talking about sexual relationships. Mm-hmm. but definitely right. coercive relationships and you have to join in with certain groups of people and it's it's almost like going to war you make bonds with people and there were many instances in the show where people that worked at the prison as well as people who were in the prison had violent actions taken against them or their family based on those associations and it's, it's come up as a theme in movies. So I'm, I'm assuming this isn't just a fantasy, that this is something that really happens. So you start mm-hmm. putting yourself out there as like a woman that's dating someone in prison. And then the person you're dating contacts another criminal that's on the outside. And, and suddenly you could become a victim inadvertently. And I just, even reporters, people, district attorneys, defense attorneys there's a danger there when you start bringing these people into your lives i'd be curious to do some more research on that how many law enforcement professionals and and attorneys find themselves threatened by these people yeah you're playing with fire for sure 
I wonder, you know, there's this whole thing with that, uh, what was the name of this condition? I pulled up a pronunciation of it. Oh yeah, let's hear it. Okay, here we go. Hybristophilia? All right, we got it now. You ready? It's hybristophilia. Hybristophilia. Not not hybristophilia. Or or if you want to say it like the robot, hybristophilia. Hybristophilia. Um, Okay, I was on Scott Peterson, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, as far as I can tell, the dipshit hasn't gotten anybody to marry him yet, but he he's uh, very, very popular. You know, handsome guy and people, you know, I can look past a lot if you're a handsome guy. Maybe I look past the murderer. I don't know. Um, I want to get all historical here for a moment. There's things in our culture that we look down on and I look down on them, no doubt. Like, for instance, like sex with children, right? But mm-hmm. in a lot of cultures, sex with children historically has not been that big of a thing right it wasn't right that long ago even in the united states that a parent could allow their 9 10 12 year old daughter to get married to some dude mm-hmm. there are still countries in the world where that's acceptable now think think back in history of all these brutal mass murderers genghis khan people like that it was cool to have a husband that was a brutal mass murderer right so this is a thing in human culture. I am going to get to that. <laughs> okay. I am going to get to that. Okay. So, because yes. we're criticizing women something. that are going after these brutal killers as like being odd, but maybe we're the odd ones that we're marrying guys that don't do that, or at least we don't think they do. That's all. That's all I'm that, saying. Yeah, right. Right. Well, I'm going to have to go back to my source here. And I... It will be on our website, fearthispodcast.com. It will be on our website. So this is about what you're saying about, it's been something throughout history, right? Well, from an evolutionary perspective, this is from a psychologist um, who specializes in this kind of, these philias. He said, from an evolutionary perspective, maybe such females have some kind of unconscious biological drive that would view any children of such men as having a better chance of survival. So that kind of goes to what you just said. Maybe hybristophiles have submissive traits and are attracted to narcissists. They are narcissist enablers who are attracted to power. Professor John Money, who studies all this stuff, said that this behavior may be caused by a reverse operant conditioning. And he says that it converts negatives into positives, tragedy into triumph, and aversion into addiction. So you would take this trait that for most of us would be like, you're a fucking nightmare of a human and you don't even deserve to live because you've murdered these people, but you turn that into, but that's, that means you're that much more powerful and that you're that much more of a, of a virile, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to have powerful sperm that's going to produce like all these superhumans or something, you know? And I know that we all have our own, we do, we have volition, but there is still something to our evolutionary drive that for whatever reason, some of us have still not managed to overcome, you know? Well, right. And we live in a more genteel society because uh, James watches this movie incessantly. I don't know why. I think it's just like boredom TV watching, but this is the end. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually kind of a clever movie. It, it does make me laugh and I get sucked into it too. It's a bunch of celebrities playing themselves at the end of the world and the rapture happens and like all the good people get raptured but these this group of celebrities ends up getting left behind and it's like hell on earth it's um 
It's uh, James Franco and his writing partner, Seth Rogen. It's James Franco and Seth Rogen. Oh, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. So it's mainly a lot of comedians and stuff in this house. And uh, I did see that movie and I'd forgotten about that. It's funny. It's clever, right? I don't remember it well enough to say that's how much it didn't stick. Oh. But I remember, here's what I remember about it. And, and you're probably going to roll your eyes, which that's okay. Was Emma, what's her name in it? Emma, yes. Um, yes. Emma Watts. And, and that movie was so misogynistic and so flippant about rape. Kind of blocked it from my memory. Right. There was that whole scene. Yeah, it was. You know? And so anyway, I just, maybe it was what hilarious, talking, but it just didn't stick. What anyway. were we talking about before I brought this up? Like have virile sperm that will uh, carry us into the next generation. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, one of the characters in the, in the movie was in, in, in the circle of friends of assholes, he was like the biggest asshole and he had like no regard for anyone else. And he ended up like dominating during the end of the world. And all these, like all these guys that were like kind of nerdy and whatever were struggling. And my point was just, if you live in a rough and tumble world where life is cheap, you probably do want your husband to be like a brutal murderer. <laughs> Although it could turn on you, but I'm, I'm just saying like, if, if we have like a zombie apocalypse or like some world problem and your husband is like a glasses and an inhaler and a PhD, you want Scott Peterson to be your husband. You don't want the glasses and inhaler guy. You see what I'm saying? No offense to glasses inhaler guys. We love you too. We do. Oh, I love Just glasses like, inhaler guys. They're my. I love glass inhaler that's, guys. That's my. That's the net that I cast. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like. <laughs> no, but you're onto something, and it is exactly what this guy was saying as well. There's something primal, man, and a survival instinct. That's the irony, isn't it? Survival. That's the thing about what people say: the primary motivator of humans and all animals. It's not survival. It's survival of the species. That's the motivator. That's why people will sacrifice themselves for children or, you know, so the important thing that drives us is that our children are safe or that our children go into the next generation, not just us. So you can maybe, maybe evolutionarily overlook the fact that there's a brutal murderer because you think, hey, that good strong sperm is going to create good strong people that are going to carry our genes into the future. And of course, nobody's sitting around thinking that if you are, you probably are too, you shouldn't marry anyone or have children. (laughs) But if you, but there's something to the evolutionary drive that these scientists are talking about, you know, that's interesting. I think even more so than that, another cultural thing that we have is it probably comes from Christianity because a lot of these guys will convert to Christianity when they get into prison and a lot of them are faking it. But the idea that if you believe in Jesus, any sin, any crime can be um, forgiven. Some of these women are probably still suffering from that idea of my love can change him. But also the idea that there's nothing too horrible for, for God to forgive. So therefore I should also be able to overlook it. And the belief that religion can change people I'm not saying it can't, but I think that's where some of this may come from too. At what point do you allow that idea of forgiveness to completely negate the depravity that someone committed? Because I'm not talking about whether or not they should be forgiven. I mean, that's between them and God or whoever, but the idea of you as a human overlooking the capability of that human to do those horrible things because that still lives inside that person. 
who they were, the behavior they engaged in still lives inside that person. So whether or not they're forgiven for it and whether or not they're not able to do it again because they're in prison is separate from, then one of the articles I read said that the person who married the Ramirez, the Ramirez, the Night Stalker, that when they're in the prison waiting room, she and he were cuddling and snuggling and all this stuff. I'm like, you are touching and snuggling and loving up on somebody who did such horrific things to so many people. I don't know how you get your head around it. I don't know how you get, like, I'll go to bed at night and I'll be thinking, man, my husband is so sweet. He was so nice to our cat Harper today. Mm-hmm. What are you to go to bed thinking about if you married the fucking night stalker? Wow, my husband's so sweet. He didn't murder anyone today. <laughs> I mean, he got through an entire day and didn't kill anybody. That's great. You know, he should be given a prize. But one of the things that you said earlier, um, she married Bianchi. Her name was uh, Veronica Compton. She went after Ted Bundy first. So this was what they call the the murder groupies, the killer groupies. And so they they do go from one to one to the other and the other and and go after these guys in prison. And maybe Bundy was like, no, thanks. I got enough nude pictures over here and I don't really need you. Well, then she went after Bianchi and and then she tried to, uh, did we talk about it in this episode or last week? Um, where we she tried to murder somebody last else. Week. We talked about okay. it last week. She wanted to murder somebody else so that she could prove that Bianchi didn't do it and plant his DNA on someone. She was one of those murder groupies. And I understand the idea of, of people wanting to be near fame or people wanting to be near danger. And that, that idea of the operant reverse conditioning thing I just said a minute ago really rings true in a way, even for true crime people or people who like horror films or, or like getting the gritty details on scary things is because when you convert something negative into a positive, we do it in, in our daily lives all the time by watching scary movies or getting on a roller coaster or doing a bungee jump. You know, we do it all the time. And so imagine if that was what fed you and then it turned into how you wanted to treat your whole life. And then you, maybe you feel all the time that your life is in danger, but, or that you're not in danger, but you're living part of your life in something that's dangerous, but then you don't have to face the consequences of it because the dipshit's still in prison. You know, I mean, if that works for you, I guess that's what works for you. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I, I, don't know. I, I do think it's interesting when you, you juxtaposed Bianchi and Ted Bundy. So even in this weird dating world, people still have a type and they still pair with like. So Ted Bundy would pick women by and large that could help him who were intelligent. And Bianchi was like one of the dumbest serial killers. He like, if we have a scale for dumbness, this guy was like really dumb. Tell me why you say that. Because I I know his crimes are so depraved and so horrific I'd love to know why he's dumb. Let's insult him for a minute. Yeah, so Angelo Bono, his, he was related in some way to Angelo. They're like his cousin or his uncle or yeah. something. Angelo was the mastermind of all this and he introduced Bianchi to it. Mm-hmm. Bianchi on his own probably would not have become a serial killer, I don't think. Like he could barely hold down a job. And Bono actually kind of broke up with him during the trial process and got upset with him because- Bianchi's the reason they got caught because Bianchi would brag to people and then he would take security guard jobs and it's like that whole don't shit where you eat thing you know he would like leave a breadcrumb a trail isn't that the couple that had the car repair place yeah and started picking their victims from the car repair place and then that yeah yeah. so Bono knew Bono knew the consequences and knew to keep it to himself Bianchi was like real chatty about it 
and he did things that led the police to them so for him to get with a kooky girl that's like writing a play and is like all about the fame of it and and the two of them mastermind the bag of semen from the smuggling thing which is like so asinine that's why i just think that they're morons whereas i think i remember more about him being so stupid i think i do because didn't he yeah. tell his like new wife or new girlfriend or something by the way there's so many cases these dudes who end up getting caught because they the wife divorces them and then tells the police what he had done how do they tell their spouses or their girlfriends about this stuff there's one thing you probably had to keep to yourself <laughs> right it's probably your serial killing activities just keep that private well, right. And, and you know your wife's temperament, right? Some people, you tell them personal details about your life and then it comes back to haunt you. Just expect that that would be a detail when you're in a fight that's going to come back, right? <laughs> the fact that you murder people is probably going to be a sore spot. You know that's going to come up. Mm -hmm. Oh, but what about all the people you've killed? <laughs> like when James brings up the time I, I went to the mall to purchase something and this guy lured me to a booth where they were selling lotions and bath salts and stuff. And he was like, you're going to find this so amazing. And he gives me a facial and he gave me like a hand massage. This went on for a really long time. And then okay. he wanted to sell me a $200 basket of lotions. And I felt guilty because I took up so much of his time, which obviously he constructed, that I bought the $200 basket of lotions. You did it? It worked. Oh, wow. And James was furious that I bought a $200 basket of lotions. He actually took the lotions back and confronted, oh, good, good. and confronted the guy and said, you know, you- That is a manipulation. It's one of the tactics in Gavin De Becker's book, The Gift of Fear, where he describes when someone does a favor for you that you don't ask for, and then all of a sudden you're in their debt. And then what they ask for in return is always a lot bigger than whatever they did for you. And that is exactly what that guy did. And the name of the tactic is loan sharking. So the loan shark interest rate is like 200%. So his interest rate on you giving you a hand massage was 200% because it was like $200 worth. Like, so the thing oh. is the guy wasn't, the guy wasn't able for whatever reason, didn't give a refund, but James rattled him so much that he gave James like a couple of boxes of lotion and bath salts so everybody that year at christmas got yeah this lotion and bath salt but i brought it up because it's like we're past it now but for a couple of years when we got into a fight the lotion came up like you can't be trusted because of the lotion anyway so imagine if he had like murdered people i'd be like well you want to talk about flaws? If I had, I can't imagine a scenario where you wouldn't bring that up in a fight. Right? Like I just cannot imagine. Fight. Yeah. Will you please take um, out the trash? And and then they're like playing video games, and you're like, "Listen, serial killer, you need to get your ass off the couch. Stop playing video games, or I'm going to the police." <laughs> the scene in Breaking Bad. I was describing Curtis. Curtis loves that. That's probably his favorite moment in the whole show. And by the way, that's my favorite show of all time. I will take on anyone who says that's not the best show in the history of television. And um, the scene, I like the scene where he's he um, he's in the garage with Hank and says, tread lightly. That entire scene from start to finish is one of my favorite like five minutes of TV. But Curtis loves the moment whenever he's like, we are in danger. And then Skylar goes, I thought you were the danger. And then they cut back to Walter's face and he just 
he's just like, only a husband <laughs> could understand <laughs> that moment that a wife can do to him. Like, she's the, oh, he's this badass dude and he's murdering people all over the place. But the wife can like just bring him down to be that big, you know, right, he, right, the defeat right. on his face was so brilliant. I, I mean, I love him. I love, 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 love him. That, uh, yeah, um, great, Brian Cranston. Great series. A great series. I met him once. It's my little, I just met him briefly at a conference in Vegas, like 20 years ago when he was doing Malcolm in the Middle, mm -hmm. um, before Breaking Bad ever came out. And I was like, oh my God, I'm such a fan. I'm not going to be a nerd about it. But the, the scene where you, and I quoted one of his scenes from Malcolm in the Middle, and he was so gracious and so kind. Oh, that's nice. And then a couple years later, Breaking Bad comes out and I was like, man, that guy's got it all. Yeah. So you're right about Bianchi. This is the details of how he was caught. He went to Bellingham, Washington. He lured two women to a house to house sit and he killed them. Like, where do you think they're going to look? <laughs> like, right. that's exactly how you right shit where you live or work yeah right yeah you got you got not the brightest bulb no okay. yeah i mean if i sign up for a i don't know what the dating sites are like but here, here we go yeah. you sign up for farmersonly.com right and yes you want to yeah you want to meet another farmer to settle down with but there's a a serial right. killer farmer on the site right and they have a profile that leads you right back to them and they're like killing people i mean that's just stupid right that's equivalent to what he mm -hmm. did he in in modern in modern days he signed up for a a dating website with his real name and then killed the women that he oh you know it's like <laughs> yeah but same thing like it, it, do, if you kill your employer or you kill your wife or your cousin like it's gonna lead back to you well, you were saying about the um, Lake and Ng murders, they would just kill the families of the people who came looking for them. I'm like, can you just branch out a little bit, dude? You're, you're gonna have a longer serial killing career if you do. Well, they just didn't want to leave their compound or get off the couch. I mean, it was pretty, yeah. pretty bad. Pretty lazy. Okay, so there's a guy in Russia. Remember I told you a few weeks ago that Russia has really good serial killers? Yeah. This guy. Alexander, and I care not if I mispronounce that because he he can go rot in hell. He was he was he's known as the chessboard killer, mm -hmm. and he killed forty eight people, forty eight at least forty eight, in an effort to create enough dead bodies to fill the sixty four parts of a chessboard. Now. I know we're all about the Queen's Gambit these days for reasons that are a bit unclear to me, but I think you're taking chess obsession a bit too far, bruh. 80 women initially sent him love letters in prison, even though he'd murdered 48 people. One of the admirers wooed him so well, she received a marriage proposal. Her name is Natalia. She calls him by his pet name, Sasha, he has created such a stir not only in our country but throughout the world she says so i was curious to know what he's really like turned out he was not so bad as he was shown in the media all right that was in listverse.com and i'll put that of course on our website the the idea of the massive i mean i got blind spots when it comes to people i love you know my cat attacks me sometimes i still love her because i forget about it my husband may or may not play video games in the basement 10 minutes extra than I would prefer when I'm trying to, you know, maybe grab dinner. I overlook those. I have a blind spot. I don't have a blind spot big enough for 48 fucking dead bodies. 
how do you overlook that when you are looking at qualities or someone you want to put your energy and passion and, and time into Marie explain it. I don't get it. Uh, I don't get it either. But like, if we have any listeners that are married to people in prison that have done horrendous crimes, we'd love to interview you on the show. <laughs> and <clears throat> especially if you've spent time trying to figure out how to smuggle things in and out of prison, we really want details on that. Yeah. Any body cavity smuggling, but, <laughs> but we'll be really nice. We won't be judgmental. I promise. I'll make, I'll really? make sure Becky doesn't, uh, doesn't, uh, cuss you out. Causing Marie, Becky. I gotta be me. I gotta be me. I gotta be me. Gotta be me. That's really important. You always gotta be yourself. So I did want to bring up one last thing on this particular topic, which is guys are a lot of times are like really clueless about many, many things, but there's one thing that, that guys seem to be completely tuned into no matter what even Ted Bundy, the serial killer, is a desperate woman. <laughs> there are so many like signals and clues guys don't pick up on, but anytime a woman is overly desperate, like there's some alarm that goes off in them. And now I've learned another thing about men. I haven't found a single example of a man that seeks out a woman in prison for a relationship. Is that a thing? It's certainly not common enough to have a name, you know? So this is a wholly a female fetish mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. for whatever reason kudos to guys they know it's a bad idea there is something that men are outdoing women on i didn't know that we were going to discover that today exactly that men know it's a bad idea to date killers in prison wow wow here's you guys who don't marry people in prison good for you keep up the good work all right hey, the what is wrong with us why are we why do we do this ladies there's a good guy out there for you please 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 um maybe in another episode we can talk about guys that become obsessed with serial killers because they actually do just not in the same way that women do okay because there are okay. reporters and and um other people with morbid curiosity like we talked about last week the murderabilia guys that make relationships with serial killers and and there have been people of late who think their father is a serial killer and they become obsessed with that identity so that might be an interesting thing to talk about at some point yeah i think there's a lot yeah, yeah. so um, the obsession will not end with women we will at some point discuss men who are yes ladies we are we're not the only ones who do weird shit when it comes to scary ass murderous serial killers so you have any final like thoughts about women who date serial killers or date horrific criminals? I I really think go to farmersonly.com instead. That's my <laughs> advice to you. Silver singles, go to that one. There's so many options out there for you ladies. Oh my right, goodness. Right. Or better or better yet, be alone. Be in alone screen. Maybe we could just start a dating site for these women like how about let's start a dating site? Let's start a dating site. Well, at least I'm not a serial killer.com. Right. And then that's the low bar that we're trying to cross. So dudes, if you are not a serial killer, we're going to put you on this website where women can swipe right and left on you. And that's if all we ask is that you're not a serial killer. Right. If you're really hyper-masculine and, and maybe just a little bit aggressive, th those are the kind of guys we're looking for. But 
stop shy of serial <laughs> killing, right? Because so if anybody out there wants to formulate the algorithms for that, then then please uh, write us at uh, fearless at nowfear.com. That's our email. And in the meantime, please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and write, rate, subscribe. And by write, rate, subscribe, I mean, write us a review. Don't rape anybody. Rate us five stars and subscribe on iTunes. We're going to try this little contest. So for the first five people who give us five stars and write us a hilarious and scary review, we will read it and say your name on the show if you want. So look forward to that. All right. Go to our website, fearthispodcast.com and subscribe there for life-changing content. It's going to change your life for sure. (laughs) Bye-bye.